This morning, we're continuing our series on standing in the day of evil. And uh, we'll probably have one more week of that. But let's go to and open up to Ephesians chapter 6. And we've been focusing in the past few weeks in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, where Paul says in verses 10 through 13, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And the point that Paul is making to the Ephesian church and by way of them to us is that uh, by nature of the church's allegiance to God and his light and his righteousness, we are going to be in a battle standing against the enemy and against evil. If you are Christ, you don't have a choice. You're in the battle. You are in the spiritual battle that we see surrounding us and manifesting itself physically all around us, but is being uh, originated and perpetuated by demonic forces in the unseen realms by these powerful spiritual beings led by Satan himself. And although we see this manifestation of evil, it is not a physical battle that we participate in. It is a spiritual one. We are in a spiritual battle. We are a spiritual people with a spiritual adversary, a very powerful spiritual adversary. We must use spiritual armament, spiritual means to make our stand in the day of evil in which we are living, to withstand his assaults. And so Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 4, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, that's we have bodies, we're walking in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. We don't have tanks and helicopters and things to fight demons. That's ridiculous. For the weapons of our warfare, what? Are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And so we find here in Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 20, that we have been given weapons of divine power, power that is mightier and stronger, that is above all principalities, that is above all powers, that is above all dominion, that is above the satanic forces and the satanic army because it originates with God himself. And we are in Christ, seated above all these things. And in Christ, we have been given spiritual armor to defeat and to take our stand against the evil one in this day that God has called us to. Amen. So we are called to put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. We must put on this spiritual armor to make our stand against our adversary. And that is what we are called to do is to stand. To stand in the day of evil. To stand in the Lord. To stand in truth. To stand in righteousness. To stand in holiness. To stand in good works. To stand in the light in the midst of a world overcome in spiritual darkness. And so last week in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, we went over the first, uh, basically, uh, three uh, pieces of armor that we are to put on. 
for this battle where Paul says in verses 14 and 15, to stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, uh, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And so he told us to put on a belt of truth. He told us to put on a breastplate of righteousness and we have the shoes of the gospel of peace. And so by quick way of review, obviously we all pretty much are, are aware of this now, but Paul is using the imagery of a Roman soldier fully prepared for a battle to equate to us the uh, spiritual preparedness that we we need to be um the, the spiritual equipment that we have in Christ Jesus for the battle that we face. Again, it's not that Paul is saying that we have spiritual pieces of armor and we just need to use our imagination and put them on. That's, that's hocus pocus weirdness. He's just using a physical picture to give us a spiritual understanding. It's not like we have a helmet we put on. It's what he's painting is who we are in Christ Jesus. That we put on Christ for this battle as we stand in the Lord and the power of his might and we appropriate all that he says and all that he is and, and we put our trust in him, we are able to withstand the enemy's attack upon us and that's what he's getting at. And so he breaks down the various pieces of this armor of a, of a Roman soldier to kind of get us into the mindset of these are the spiritual things that we need to be mindful of in Christ Jesus as we stand in the day of evil. And so Paul uses that Roman soldier. As you look at a Roman soldier, he had a belt. <clears throat> he, had a pre he had a breastplate. He had shoes. You know, and on top of that, we're going to talk about the, uh, the other things that he has today. But without reteaching it last week, too much. What does the belt mean? This is to put on the belt of truth. What does that mean? In other words, we are committed to the truth. It's a foundational piece of equipment. How many of you, uh, by necessity, had to put a belt on this morning? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and you tuck your clothes into it and other things go to it. Well, a soldier, again, had a, had a robe on that day and they would cinch the belt to themselves. And, and from that belt, they would tuck in the loose ends of their clothing and they would put all the other attachments. Their sword would go to it. Their breastplate would be attached to it. And the idea is that it's a foundational piece of equipment. Listen, we are singed with truth. We are tied to the truth. That is the fight we're in. We're in the fight from truth of the kingdom of God to the lies of the enemy. We are the people of the truth. We're committed to it. It's tied around us. We take the loose ends of our lives as the Lord shows us and we tuck our lives into the truth. Amen. And so there's that belt of truth and I'm going to go into more than that. But secondly, a breastplate of righteousness. And this isn't imputed righteousness. This isn't the righteousness that God puts on us when we, put, when we believe in Christ. This is practical righteousness. This is as a result of being made right with God. He says, put on righteousness. In other words, walk in holiness. You have the truth. Now live according to it. It's going to protect your heart from the blows of the enemy. And so we walk in righteousness. We're not only committed to the truth. We walk in the truth as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Thirdly, the shoes of the gospel of peace. This is not sharing the gospel. We are commanded to share the gospel, but he's talking about making a stand. And so 
how do we stand in the day of evil? Well, we stand upon the gospel. And notice he says the readiness of the gospel of peace. Because we have been made at peace with God through Jesus Christ, we are ready to stand in the day of evil. It's what we stand on, what we have our foundation on. You have peace with God, amen? Through Jesus Christ, he is your defender. He's your strong tower. He's your fortress. He's the one who fights for you. He's the one who's given us the victory in Christ Jesus. And so we stand upon him. The world doesn't have that peace. They don't have the gospel. They're at war with God. They're, they're under the condemnation, right? But you have been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we stand on that. No matter what the enemy throws on us, that's what we stand upon and fall back on. We stand on the gospel. He is our refuge. And so we have a firm footing in the battle. So those first three pieces of armor, the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of the gospel of peace. And now today, verses 16 and 17, Paul introduces three more pieces where Paul says, in all circumstances, take up the what? The shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then the last one we'll have to get back to is, is prayer. And I think that's a standalone one. And so here Paul continues to give us that picture of a fully armed soldier. Not only do they have a tactical belt, not only do they have body armor, tactical boots, but they also have a shield, a helmet, and an offensive, defensive weapon, a sword. And Paul starts with verse 16. He starts that by saying, in all circumstances, take it up. Or as some of your translations say, above all. How many of you say above all? Yeah, the, the idea there isn't, isn't that the, the, the three pieces of armor that he's saying now are more important than the last three. It's, it's really in addition to in the Greek. That's the idea. Now that you've got your foundational pieces on, don't forget you've got three more things that you need to equip yourself with. For the Roman soldier, in addition to the belt, and in addition to the breastplate and the shoes, there was a shield, obviously a helmet and a sword, and then communications, which we'll get into later, right? But as Paul makes the distinction that a soldier, uh, but with a soldier in war, by analogy, we, we also have our foundational pieces that we never take off. We never take off. But in addition to that, there are other armaments that we pick up when the battle gets hot. And that's the idea here. You see, the soldier was ready for a battle. He was in a war zone. It's not as if you take off your shoes and kick back. When you hear the shrapnel, uh, you know, whizzing by your head and things are going on and you're in your foxhole, you don't go, oh, well, let me just, you know, relax. No, you had your basic pieces on. Even when the battle lulled, you could sit down in, in, in your foxhole. You didn't take off your breastplate. You didn't take off your shoes. And, and you weren't taking off your belt. But you could set your shield, da your shield down. And you take your helmet off and your sword. You could put it in your sheath for a second. But when you were in battle, you better pick those things up. In addition to, above all, make sure you put these on. That's what Paul's saying. You have the foundation of truth. You're committed to it. You're walking in the truth. We stand on the gospel. This is all foundational. But when the battle rages and the arrows start flying and, they, and then you enter into hand-to-hand -hand combat, man, you better have your shield on, your helmet on, and you better have your sword out. Amen? You got to be ready to stand. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, Paul says. The very 
the next piece of armor. Why? With which, it you, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so the next piece of armor is the shield of faith. And there were many kinds of shields in the, in the Roman army. How many of you have seen pictures of like gladiators and had the small little shield right here was when it was attached to your arm? Well, that's a small one. That's not the word used here. The word used here is for the bigger shield, which would have been a two and a half foot wide and a four and a half foot tall shield. It was something that uh, the, the heavy soldiers could put their whole bodies behind. They would protect them from the barrage of arrows. It was a large shield, and that's the word being used here. And he's saying it's a shield of faith. And the reason why they wanted to do that is because the enemy would shoot them with arrows. And quite often what the enemy would do is they would take their arrows and dip them in pitch or cloth dipped in pitch, and they would light them and they would fire them in hopes that someone didn't have their shields up. And what do you imagine happened when that hit that soldier? They would freak out because they lit on fire. And how do you think that affected everybody else around him? As he's on fire running into everybody else, you see the, the line would be broken. The formation would be broken. There would be a weakness in the penetration. See, this is the tactic of the enemy. He fires these arrows at us. And we must be ready to defend them with the shield of faith. And the tactic, just by way of history, the that the... Um, Roman army would use, and obviously the Greek army and other places like that, uh, they would use a phalanx, some formation called a phalanx. And so they would take all these shields and as they would be together, they would line up in a formation and they would have a shield wall in front and on the side and overhead. The next group would be holding it overhead. And, and this would go for a mile long and they would advance the army slowly and all the, sh- the uh, things would be coming in and they'd be able to defend against these fiery arrows as they all were unified. And that's the picture that's going on here. The believers in our stand against the enemy are constantly under the barrage of arrows, of fiery arrows that the enemy shoots at us. We're always under attack as believers. Now, some people have taken this to really weird places, the fiery arrows. Um, It simply is I believe it's just the temptations of the enemy. That's his tactic. That's his tool in getting you and getting me is to tempt us. That's like page three of the Bible, chapter three of the Bible. He tempts and all the way forward. That's, that's, his, that's his method. The fiery arrows, I believe, are temptations in their various forms and the barrages that come at us. That's, a, that's, that's, his, that's his main weapon, temptation. He is called the tempter. He's called a roaring lion. He is looking for an opportunity for us to have our shields down. He's like a lion looking for our weakness. He's going to attack at that moment. So we need to have our shields at the ready. So in all circumstances, take up your shield of faith. We walk by what? We walk by faith. We trust in the Lord in all these circumstances. And Satan comes to attempt us to abandon our trust in the Lord, to to get us to not trust in the Lord, to not walk, walk by faith, but to doubt God and to give into the flesh. That is his main, that is his main weapon. And so Satan's arrows, his temptations come in various forms to get you to doubt God or to become angry or to lie or to become discouraged or to covet 
or to be critical or to engage in immorality or pride or wrath and all these kinds of sins, various sins that we all experience in humanity. And we know in James 1 where the origin of our sin comes from. We're often blaming the devil and he has a big part of it. But James 1 says basically that temptation comes when we are led away by our own passions and our own desires. See, the problem is that uh, within us is an evil, a fallen, unregenerated evil. As believers, our minds desire to obey the law of God. We see this in Romans 7 and then Romans 8 kind of plays it out. We desire, but we've got this dead body chained to us that wants to go in the opposite direction. Who will save us from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. And so there's this fallen body that desires to do what is contrary to the spirit. The flesh and the spirit are at war. And so the enemy, like a hunter, like a fisher, and those are the terms that are used in James 1, he puts the bait in front of you that appeals to that fallen nature, whatever it may be, to pull us away from trusting in the Lord and and to get us to doubt God and his commands and his provisions and all those things and get us to trust in something else, to forsake faith is what it is. These are the flaming arrows. Any of you had any flaming arrows this week? And it is at that moment when the arrows come in that we are called to trust in God. And that's what the shield of faith faith is, just basic trust in God. We choose to trust in God and not whatever the lie is, not whatever the temptation is or whatever the temptation implies. We have a choice to trust in God. We can either raise our, sh- our, our, our shield of faith or believe the lie. And ultimately, that is what the battle of temptation is over. The enemy is trying to get you to doubt God. Do you know that? He's trying to get you to doubt God. He's trying to get you to doubt his word. He's trying to get you to doubt his provision. He's trying to get you to doubt his promises for any given circumstance. He's trying to get you to doubt his revealed plan. He's trying to get you to doubt God. That's what the enemy is doing. Just like Eve in the garden, the very first time the enemy tempts, what are the first words that come out of Satan's mouth? We've said it before. Did God really say? He's trying to get you to doubt God and to believe some lie. That's what he's up to. And when we fall into temptation, we allow ourselves to give in and we abandon our faith. We doubt God. And so Paul says, take up the shield of faith in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith. Trust God, church. Amen. It shields us from sin, from temptation. It extinguishes temptation. This means when temptation comes, We are to trust God. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. King David said, Joseph said, how can I sin against God and do this great evil in his sight? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding, but all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your your path. Trust in the Lord, church. We're people who trust in the Lord. We trust in his word, his promises, his provisions, and his providence, all those Ps, right? So trust him and him over our own passion. 
When we trust in the Lord in the midst of temptation, we stand against the evil one. And this is why we're gathered here. This is why we open the word of God. Because I don't want you, and the Lord doesn't want you to just get some kind of Christian, you know, catchphrases that you live by. It's not going to work. You want to know the word of God so that you are shielded against the attacks of the enemy. And we'll get into that in just a minute. We don't want to get into, uh, you know, like just Christian fluffiness and whatever's hip and cool in, in the Christian movement. We want you to be rooted in the foundation of the word of God. That's why we crack it open. That's why we're in it together, not only on Sundays, but throughout the week. That you're not sitting there when the temptation comes and going, I don't really even have a clue how to trust God, but you know what he says. You know the God of the word. You know the word of God and you appropriate it at the moment and you say, shields up. I trust in him. I know him. I lean fully upon him. Amen? Yes. We take up the shield of faith. It's not a nebulous faith. It is a sure faith. Faith in God. And we know that faith comes by hearing through the word of God. And so when the arrows come, we trust in God. Shields up, church. Next, Paul in verse 17 says, and take up the helmet of salvation. Take up the helmet of salvation. Now, obviously, soldiers wear helmets. Why? Because their heads can get cracked open or, you know, wounded in battle. And if your head gets hurt, you're, you're done. And this is a picture of protecting our minds. This is kind of the picture, protecting our minds. The enemy attacks us in our thoughts. And so this speaks of protecting our head, protecting our thinking. I don't know about you, but how many of you, as you look out on the landscape of evil, whatever it might be, as you just see the things that are contrary to the Lord being played around, around you, how many of you have become discouraged and downhearted in your heart as you see maybe, uh, you know, the things that are playing out? I'm not going to get into specifics at the moment, but you can fill in the blank. And you, and you tend to just kind of get into a depression in all these types of things. I can, I can totally relate. I've had a lot of that going on. We can lose our peace when we look at everything that's going on. We can lose our hope and become depressed as we look at this world and the effects of evil upon it and within us and all these things. And, and you know, sustained battle, we can start to get fatigued and we can lose hope. You know that. How many of you, when you came to the Lord, you go, oh, this is cool, this is awesome. And it is, and it is awesome. But then like, you know, a couple years in, you're like, man, this is a battle. And you start thinking, you start extrapolating, if I should live, then will I make it? You know, and you're obviously looking at yourself because you realize the intensity of the battle. It's beyond you. It has to be a supernatural strength that propels us forward. And, and, and you can become weary looking at everything that's going on. Some of you have become unweary. I've become weary. And we need to put on the helmet of salvation is what he's saying. Guard your thinking. How do we do that? What's, what's he talking about? Put on the helmet, helmet of salvation. Well, salvation is, is an act of God. It is one giant act of God, okay? It, the word means to save. And, and what is that? What does God save us? What is he saving us from? Well, he's saving us from sin. And obviously the results of sin are death and the wrath of God, right? All those things. But he's saving us ultimately from sin. And, and 
And the Bible kind of speaks of it, and I've shared this with you before, in, in three different kind of compartments of salvation. It's one act, but it's three different compartments, so to speak. There's that first act of salvation when we believe in Jesus Christ, we're justified, right? We're saved from the, what of sin? Penalty of sin. And then when we're saved because of Jesus Christ, that flows into the Holy Spirit's work of our, in our lives, and you find it, you ha- now have victory over sin in various areas as the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, and that's called sanctification. You have, you've been saved from the power of sin in your life. So the, the penalty of sin, the power of sin, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the last aspect of salvation. He's saying the future aspect of salvation, a coming salvation, put on the hope of salvation. You have been saved, you're being saved, but there's a future salvation that we are all hoping for. And that word hope isn't like, oh man, I hope it happens. This is a sure hope that is looked forward to with absolute joy and expectation. The joy of sin being eradicated from our presence. Man, that is going to be awesome, isn't it, church? It's not going to be in you, and it is not going to be around you. He saves us. When he saves us in Christ, he saves us from the penalty, from, from, the, from the power, and from the presence of sin. It is a total package, and this is all a work of God through Christ Jesus. Amen? All glory to him. So when Paul's saying, put on the helm of salvation, He's, he's looking forward. How do we know this? How do we know that's what he's talking about? Well, there's a sister verse to it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11, when he speaks of the uh, putting on the hope of salvation like a helmet. So this is Paul's thinking. We know it is because that he uses it in another place. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11, he says, but since we belong to the day, <coughs> excuse me, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of what? A hope of salvation. For, put on for a helmet, the hope of salvation, a future salvation, the hope, it's coming. Being saved from the very presence of sin, no sin around us or in us. This happens when we are glorified at glorification, when we're with the Lord. And this is the helmet we're to put on and uh, to be mindful of, of this coming salvation, it is a living hope, a sure hope, an absolute thing that is coming to the believer. It's ours. And we are to guard our minds and our, and our hearts. As the, as the world falls around, uh, part around us, as things go that we don't really, that break our hearts as we see that the world not reconciled to God, we, lo- we know ultimately that the Lord is going to save the righteous. Amen? In Christ Jesus. And by the way, not the self-righteous. Those who trust in Christ. And this is our anticipated hope. Why? Just continuing 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So not only have we received salvation, but we are being saved and we are also going to be saved. And that is the sure hope of our salvation. 
not facing the wrath of God, but life with him no matter what. So in the battle, in our mindset, have you put on the hope of salvation? Have you forgot that Jesus is Jesus wins? He's won. Have you forgot that he's going to make things right? That he will touch down and the world will be as it should be? That we will be with him? It's going to be an awesome day. It's going to be an awesome day. Isaiah 26.3 reminds us, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We trust in the Lord, amen? Put on the helmet of salvation. And finally this morning, in addition to the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, Paul tells us to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, just making sure you guys have a sword, like a physical sword, that helps. No condemnation here. This is not the large broadsword, although the Word of God is described as a large broadsword, but this is not the large broadsword that's really long that Calvary would use and stuff, but this is rather the short sword, six or eight to 16 inches long, just handheld. And it was used both as an offensive and a defensive weapon. This is for hand-to-hand combat. Church, you are in hand-to-hand combat. You know that. And God has given you not only armor, but he's also given you the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is both an offensive and a defensive weapon. And Paul simply tells us that in order for us to be strong in the power of his, his might, you must wield the sword of the Spirit. You must wield the sword of the Spirit. You've got to pick it up. You've got to use it in your defense and also in the attack. We must wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Don't get mystical. It's the Word of God. The Word of God is our mighty spiritual weapon. Um, Hebrews 4.12 likens it better than a physical sword. It says in Hebrews 4.12, it says of the Word of God, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow in discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So this is a sword that is precision. It's powerful. It's mightier than any physical sword. Just as a physical sword sets, uh, cuts the, the spiritual sword, does mighty things in the spiritual realm and in, in within a, the context of a human heart and dealing with the demonic and all this type of stuff. And he says, and, and no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give account. The word of God cuts. And so just as a physical sword can cut, the word of God is sharper and more accurate and wields more power. And the idea is that it is a formidable spiritual weapon against our enemy. You want to defeat the enemy, wield the word of God. The idea there is that it's a both a defensive and an offensive weapon. So unlike the shield of faith, it, it protects us broadly. We just simply trust in the Lord in various circumstances. The word of God is what we use to defend specific situations where we get attacked. It's a precision uh, instrument. Yes, it speaks generally, but in this context, as we take our stand, we use it in precision. Let me 
uh, for defense. It, you just think about it. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, remember that? Satan came and, and gave specific lies, specific temptations, and Jesus responded with specific verses. Specific verses, yielding the, 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 the sword of the Spirit specifically for the, for the given moment. For example, in Matthew 4, 3 through 4, when uh, Satan's tempting Jesus, he says, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. How did Jesus respond? He responded with the word of God, with the sword of the Spirit, with precision. He answered him, verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Matthew recorded three times that Jesus responded like this. Obviously, it was a season of temptation, but he gives us three examples of what Jesus did. And he responded every time with the word of God. And this is how we resist Satan. We take our stand by wielding the word of God. When he attacks us, we have verses in mind. We know the scriptures. We defend against him in these moments. And as we resist the devil, as we take our stand, he will eventually flee from us. Of course, looking for an opportune time. That's his nature. But this is why we must heed the exhortation of 2 Timothy 2.15 if you're taking notes. That says, do your best to present yourselves, what? To God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And that is what the word of God, the word of the spirit is. We are dealing with truth. We have truth in our hand to combat the lie of the enemy. That is how we fight. That is how we defend. We, have fight, we fight with truth, with precision. Not only handling the word of God in our defense, but also in offense. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, as the word of, it implies here that the weapon is an offensive weapon because it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5, for the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's not defensive, that's offensive. Tearing down strongholds. We destroy arguments. What are these strongholds? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so it's not only the things that influence us by evil, but also around us by evil. We attack it with the word of God with precision. How many of you are, are just kind of waking up to this, this fact? It's exciting. You don't have to stand back and take it. You can stand with the Lord and you can actually advance, not with a broadsword cutting everybody's head off, but with precision as you're in conversations with people who are lost, who are gone, that we have the opportunity to inject truth into the lie. And that word for strongholds there, the, the weapons that we have are, are strongholds. They're powerful for tearing down the lies that the enemy has fortified within a person. See, we're fighting against a spiritual component within people, within systems, with all these things. And, and the truth is what cuts through. We need to learn to wield it. Amen? And you and I have the privilege as, as the sons and daughters of the king to go into the arsenal of all that is his and drink deeply and to mine it out as silver, as gold, and to fortify ourselves. And he'll give us what we need for the day. 
You're facing conversations that don't need a, a worldly response. Lord, help me. Amen. Pray for your pastor. We need to inject truth. And, the, it, and by the way, light and darkness is going to feel a little funny, isn't it? When everybody's dark and all of a sudden you inject truth in it, everybody's like, whoa, that guy's weird. Yeah, you know, I mean, yes. But we're going against the enemy, not with hate, but with the truth of the word of God in love, truth and love wielded. And what happens is when that truth pokes a hole in the dam of darkness, the Holy Spirit, again, it's a spiritual sword. It doesn't mean it's like, again, like you've got some, you're not waving a, a pretend sword around. This is This is dealing with, thoughts and intents and 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 you're you're dealing with deep things and the spirit knows how to get to things that you don't you don't need to go to the world for these things just use the word of god know the word of god apply the word of god study it and the holy spirit will apply it in the situations grow in that take steps of faith in that let the lord help you in that as we combat the enemy. And again, this word for stronghold is, is, is that we're tearing down our, our fortifications, castles, entrenchments. How do, you, how do you fight something like that? You've got to have something that can be more powerful than that, that can overcome that. And how many of you are looking at the things going on in the world today and going, man, there's just no way that, that you know, just, you know, just feel powerless because you are in fleshly means. We have a spiritual weapon. Know the word of God. And not a, you know, not a perverted American version of the word of God, but what does God really say about the circumstance? Lead him and shine the light in the darkness. You know, we're to be salt and light. Salt has a preserving effect. It's a silent effect, but light has a, an intrusive effect. Be light. Not in a mean way, but be bold in the Lord. This is why Paul ends the whole thing by saying, you know, after he talks about prayer, which is the last one, he says, and pray for me that I may proclaim the word of God boldly as I should. In other words, there's, there's, a, there's an attack against us to not stand and to be more political than we are spiritual. So we need to, Stand on the word of God and, and, and know our, the God of the word and, and know his heart behind things. And, and then, and then uh, I would say accurately handle the word of God in, in the situations. And by the way, that's just you, that's a growing process. But use it. We destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. We combat the enemy's arguments and lofty opinions that are rooted in darkness and lies. We combat that with the truth. Amen? And you have the truth. He is in you, and he has equipped you. So, there's much to go over here, but you get the idea. We have the word of God. Pick it up. Let it first be a mirror. That's what the word of God is. Do not judge lest you be judged, right? We want to take those verses seriously. 
The word of God is like a mirror. It shows us ourselves. And so let the word of God show you yourself first before you go. Uh, go and Peter on everybody. Right? Cutting off everybody else's ear. So let the word of God shine in your own heart. Allow it to cut to the thoughts and the tents of your own heart, right? And then rightfully go forward. As the Lord gives you opportunity to advance in the battle, as you're dialoguing with, with other people who are lost, you lovingly approach them. Give them the word of God. Have them wrestle with it. It will cut them up and in the best way possible. Not the broad sort of destruction, but a piercing truth in their heart that hopefully will lead them to repentance and let the love and the truth flow in. Amen? God's worth, God's word. Truth for any battle. And so we let the mirror shine and we tuck our lives into the truth. We walk according to it. We stand on it. We trust in what it says. Hopefully, we hope fully, that is, in, in it. And then we use it to defend and obviously to advance, to tear down the enemy's work. And ultimately, we want to be in the spirit in these things, not against the spirit. And that's the spirit in which we need to move forward, is that being in the spirit of God in, these, in, these, in, these, in this conflict and not the spirit of Matt or, or fill in your name. So it's the sword of the spirit that we need to pick up as well. And then lastly, verse 18, I'll get to this later, but it says there, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Not only do we need to put on the full armor of God and that we have a belt and we have a breastplate and we have shoes and we have, you know, we have a, we have a sword and we have a helmet and a shield. But we need to pray. We have air support, communication with our commanding officer, amen, so to speak, right? Constant communication. And Paul lays that out here with all prayer. So praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and all supplication. And, and we'll take those three and divide them up uh, next time. May we stand in the day of evil, amen? In the Lord, in his mighty power, in Christ, amen? Father, we bow ourselves before you and, and thank you for this great salvation you've given us in Christ Jesus. And it's like we're kids waking up to the fact that we of who our father is and and all the resources that are disposal disposal and in in your benevolence and your love how you've equipped us and you you've given us everything we need to live godly and to honor you in our lives thank you for your provision in Christ Jesus not only our physical things which we thank you for but just the rich eternal spiritual blessings that we have in him Lord, may we not cast these things aside or think that we can survive without you, but teach us to, to appropriate Christ in every given circumstance, to see ourselves just tied up in you. And Lord, lead us forward humbly, Lord, and yet powerfully. May we be light in darkness, 
salt to the earth, light to the darkness, until that day that you come and establish your kingdom uh, here on earth and obviously in the age to come. So we're yours, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we just praise you. Amen.